Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are taking a big breath and counting to three. One, two, three. Ah as we identify and calm the frustration of anger avoidance. Are you tired of putting on a brave face while weathering the storm, all the while being poked, prodded, overshadowed, and coerced? Frustration is the emotional buildup when a person gets very irritated and disappointed from a certain situation over some time. And at some point, this frustration comes out as anger. Anger is the result of frustration, an emotional response that is shown verbally and physically. Cool your jets. Okay, not that easy, but let's get to the root of all the pent-up frustration and find out why you haven't been able to effectively express yourself. Ready to smell a flower and blow out a candle? Not that I'm a control freak by any nature. Okay, maybe a little, but the feeling of not being able to change a hopeless situation is frustrating. When I have a day packed with deadlines and more to-dos than humanly possible, I get overwhelmed and as a result, can feel frustrated. The frustration is because I know I will power through instead of giving realistic timelines and expectations or just saying no. Even though I don't have the capacity to take on one more thing. Identifying your feelings and triggers is so important I saw a chart in a cozy corner of a Head Start daycare when I was visiting. The chart had a series of faces and labels depicting different moods and emotions. There was also a picture of a flower and a candle. I asked the teacher what this corner was all about, and she said it was to help the children accurately identify their feelings in a safe space. Many of them come in feeling frustrated, but through this exercise, they might actually identify with feelings of sadness or being tired. They might say they're mad, but in reality, might feel lonely or unheard. I was so impressed by this early identification that I immediately thought about my own children and what I did or didn't teach them. I mean, think about it. Where does one learn this level of emotional identification at such a young age? Curious about flower and candle? She showed me the exercise. When a child is frustrated, simply telling them to breathe may not be effective. But having them smell the picture of a flower and then blow on the picture of a candle is essentially breathing in through their nose and out through their mouth. Genius! Let's learn a little more about this emotional labeling, how to control stress and feel less anxious by naming emotions, found at MelodyWilding.com. Emotional labeling, or the practice of naming emotions, seems simple on the surface, but can be incredibly transformative. Think about it. How often do you barrel through your workday completely unaware of what you're feeling? If you're like most people, then you're probably so busy that you don't even pause to check in with yourself. Or you might find yourself caught in an ongoing cycle of unwielding, overwhelming stress, fear, or doubt that seems insurmountable and out of control, all of which is a recipe for imposter syndrome and burnout. 
This is especially true for sensitive strivers, high achievers who are also highly sensitive. Because of their biology, sensitive strivers think and feel everything more deeply. They have complex, intense emotional responses. Sensitive strivers are also able to experience the richness of positive emotions like inspiration and gratitude, but also get stuck in unpleasant feelings like annoyance and disappointment more easily and for longer. Sensitive strivers tend to have so many emotions going on at once that it can lead them to shut down. That's where emotional labeling comes in. Put simply, emotional labeling or affect labeling refers to naming emotions with greater specificity and granularity. In other words, emotional labeling is the practice of cultivating emotional literacy. That is, identifying what you're feeling as you're experiencing it in order to create distance from your reaction. Instead of opting for vague, surface-level descriptors like, I'm fine, I'm okay, you lean into the highly complex, nuanced spectrum of emotions available, which allows you to be happier, more effective, and productive. Research shows that naming emotions is a game-changing skill that reduces the influence of negative feelings like anger or frustration. Consider this. Studies show that naming your emotions immediately releases their grip over you and reduces psychological distress. Emotional labeling provides emotional clarity, giving you a deeper understanding of what happened how it affects you, and helps you see the possibilities for what to do next. Simply saying, I feel blank, helps bring your reaction under control and move on more quickly versus spiraling. Acknowledging your feelings rather than dismissing them is crucial to lowering emotional reactivity and improving your overall mental well-being. As Susan David, author of Emotional Agility, explains, we need a more nuanced vocabulary for emotions, not just for the sake of being more precise, but because incorrectly diagnosing our emotions makes us respond incorrectly. If we think we need to attend to anger, we'll take a different approach than if we're handling disappointment or anxiety, or we might not address them at all. The more specific you can be about your inner experience, the better you'll be able to create a plan to resolve or work on issues. For instance, if someone says they're feeling overwhelmed by changing priorities at work, do they feel disappointed because they think they're unable to deliver results? Or embarrassment because they're concerned they're letting their team down? When you become aware of the intricacies of what you're feeling and can communicate effectively with those around you, you can regulate your reactions in healthy, productive ways. Let's say you come home at the end of a long work day. With low emotional literacy, you might describe your mood as bad or down. This ambiguity could leave you feeling helpless. You could stew in an unpleasant emotion, unsure of what to do to make it any better. By not getting in touch with your needs, miscommunication could follow, leading to an evening of arguing with your spouse. Now, let's take a look at the same scenario, but with emotional labeling applied. 
By naming the emotion, you're able to recognize that you're feeling worried about the status of a major project. Instead of taking it out on your spouse, you're able to ask for alone time to decompress and process through the concerns of your day. Rather than being fused with the emotion, seeing it as part of you, you're able to gain distance and perspective to see the situation more clearly. Regardless of whether you're feeling strong emotions after making a mistake, trying to navigate conflict, or assert yourself in the workplace, naming your emotions is an essential skill. In sales, they say the third objection is really the true objection. So the first one is a blanket statement, cost too much. The second one might be, I'm not willing to spend that much on this item. And the third and true objection is, I don't see the value in this item. But if we would have stopped with the first one, the retailer might have dropped prices instead of realizing they need to build a better case for value of that item. Let's not accept the first emotional label or be too quick to discount and hide our feelings altogether. There is more to the story, and you're worth it. Here are three ways to better understand your emotions by Susan David, found at the Harvard Business Review. Words matter. If you're experiencing a strong emotion, take a moment to consider what to call it. But don't stop there. Once you've identified it, try to come up with two more words that describe how you're feeling. You might be surprised at the breadth of your emotions, or that you've unearthed a deeper emotion buried beneath the more obvious one. So here are a list of emotions that go beyond the obvious one. So you might say, I'm feeling angry. So let's think about angry for a minute. How do you feel angry? Could you, in fact, just be grumpy? What about frustrated? How about annoyed? Maybe you're feeling defensive or even spiteful. Maybe it's just a case of being impatient. You could be disgusted or maybe just offended and quite possibly just irritated. But does it all lead to anger? What about being sad? Maybe instead of sad, you're disappointed, mournful, or regretful. Maybe you're feeling depressed, pessimistic, dismayed, or even disillusioned. We've heard, I feel anxious a lot, but could you maybe be afraid? What about feeling vulnerable or skeptical? Maybe worried or cautious or even nervous? Sometimes we feel hurt, but could our feelings of hurt be more jealousy or betrayal? Maybe we're feeling deprived or victimized. Maybe even tormented or abandoned. It might just be a case of isolation. 
sometimes you can feel embarrassed. But are you truly embarrassed or could you just be self-conscious? Maybe you're feeling guilty or ashamed. Maybe it's just a matter of being confused. Even we can identify happy and give it more of a detailed approach. Maybe you're thankful. Maybe you feel content and relaxed. Maybe even relieved, confident, elated, excited, and trusting. It's equally important to do this with positive emotions as well as negative ones. Being able to say that you're excited about a new job, not just nervous, or trusting a colleague, not just he's nice, for example, will help you set your intentions for the role or the relationship in a way that's more likely to lead to success down the road. We're apt to leap to basic descriptors like angry or stressed even when our feelings are far less extreme. Ed was struggling in his marriage. He frequently described his wife as angry and got angry frequently in return. But as the vocabulary charts suggest, every emotion comes in a variety of flavors. When he was asked about his wife's emotions, Ed saw that there were many times that she was perhaps just annoyed or impatient. This insight transformed their relationship because he could suddenly see that she wasn't just angry all the time. This meant he could actually respond to her specific emotion and concern without getting angry himself. It matters in your own self-assessment as well, whether you're angry or just grumpy, mournful or just dismayed, elated or just pleased. As you label your emotions, Also rate them on a scale of 1 to 10. How deeply are you feeling the emotion? How urgent is it? How strong? Does that make you choose a different set of words? James Pennebaker has done 40 years of research into the links between writing and emotional processing. His experiments revealed that people who write about emotionally charged episodes experience a marked increase in their physical and mental well-being. In a study of recently laid-off workers, he found that those who delved into their feelings of humiliation, anger, anxiety, and relationship difficulties were three times more likely to have been re-employed than those in control groups. Now, for me, my head is usually buried in the sand or I'm tucked away in my happiness bubble, liking baby monkey posts, sharing inspirational songs, and binge-watching cookie shows or British period pieces. Am I up to date with the most current headlines? No. Am I aware of what is causing the most frustration in the world at this very moment in time? No. Do I feel left out of the loop or insensitive? No. I really don't. As a part of my health and wellness sanctuary, I limit what I'm exposed to and what I talk about. I have some causes that I'm passionate about, and I put my heart and soul into making an impact. But where I need the healthy boundary is in the understanding that I cannot fix the world. I cannot take on and shoulder the burden of everyone who has ever been wronged. To do this is unrealistic 
and will only lead to heartache and sadness. Two emotions I identified and at best reject. Today's headlines are intense and full of tragedy, and the call to action is demanding. One can easily feel responsible, which, by the way, is the intent. Responsibility leads to action, or at least that's the hope. But for many, it leads to hopelessness and overwhelm, burden, frustration, and despair. Repressing these feelings only compounds the emotions. John Riddle helps us better understand this with repressed anger and emotional avoidance, five ways to find the positive in negative emotion. Sometimes it feels like everything bad happens at once, but that doesn't mean you should repress the bad feelings that follow. Here's how you can prepare yourself for coping with negative emotions. Everyone has a bad day now and then. For some people, it may be as simple as missing the train or being late for work. For others, it may be more serious. For example, you find out your spouse or significant other has been cheating on you. Or perhaps a family member or close friend has just been diagnosed with a medical issue that may be difficult to overcome. No matter what the reason, there's nothing wrong with feeling bad. Aversity is a part of life, and getting through it can result in a real personal growth opportunity. Where we get in trouble is when we begin to ignore our emotions. Negative feelings like anger and sadness are very unpleasant to experience. This comes from Dr. Susan Collard, a psychologist in private practice in New York. Often, such feelings, if taken seriously, require a person to take action of some sort. For example, if a friend disappoints you or makes you angry, it might be necessary to confront that person. Confrontation can be very anxiety-producing and painful, and many people mistakenly believe the best way to deal with these feelings is to put them out of their mind. Many people learn during childhood to ignore or avoid bad things, but this ignoring bad experiences and how you feel about them will not make things better at all. In fact, the more you put off dealing with or acknowledging that something's wrong, the worse it becomes. Mental health experts refer to this as emotional avoidance. Some people who experience negative emotions may resort to unhealthy behaviors. This comes from Jamie Manwaring, a primary therapist at the Eating Recovery Center in Denver, Colorado. These behaviors may include binge eating, over-exercising, or excessive use of alcohol. This comes as a way to deal with difficult feelings. Unhealthy coping behaviors like these can work in the short term, which is why people often return to them, but can lead to further problems in the long term. If you're troubled with anger, use the massive adrenaline in your system to feed your needs take charge of your life, and be proactive. Anger and other emotions cause physical and biological changes in your body. Anger can cause your heart rate and blood pressure to increase and the level of your hormones, adrenaline, to rise. Anger is a great wake-up call to stop being dependent and waiting around or thinking you're entitled in some way. 
This comes from Dr. Jeanette Raymond, a licensed psychologist and psychotherapist with a private practice in L.A. Anger energy can be highly productive or destructive, but you can use it productively to sharpen your boundaries so that you don't get mad about being used, manipulated, or disrespected. If you're full of envy, don't complain or destroy the ones you envy. Figure out a way of empowering yourself so that you can get your version of what you envy. Negative emotions are important and useful. They are warning signs that you may be in danger or might need to take action. As with physical pain, if you didn't feel pain, when you got too close to the fire, for example, you might burn yourself badly. If you feel frightened or angry, don't try to disconnect from the feelings. Take some time to analyze why you might be feeling this way. You may realize you're in danger and should get out of a situation or that you need to confront the situation. On the other hand, you may realize that the situation is not serious, but it has triggered you because it reminds you of another situation in the past that was dangerous. If the negative feelings arise from some serious trauma, it can be an indication that professional help is warranted. Here are five ways to help you find the positive in the negative emotions. Number one, focus on the positive things, no matter how small they may appear. No matter what obstacles or challenges you may face throughout your day, make every effort to focus on the positive side of the situation. For example, if you discover that your company is about to lay off some employees, use the time to evaluate your strengths and think about your options in case you're forced to find another job. Number two, change negative self-talk into positive self-talk. When we talk badly about ourselves, we start to believe what we're saying, which perpetuates the bad feelings. When you find yourself starting to say things like, I'm a terrible person, change that line into something like, I'm a great person. And within a few seconds, your brain will process what you've said and you will react accordingly. It might feel silly at first, but you'll be surprised at your body's tendency to manifest the positive words you tell yourself. There is a lot of truth in the power of positive thinking. Number three, surround yourself with positive people. If you find yourself surrounded by negative people and negative feelings, take a deep breath and walk away. Consider gentle ways of spending less time with these types of people. When you find positive friends and family members, cherish them and know that by spending time with them, you can change your attitude for the better. You deserve people who are rooting you on. Number four, stay in the present. Focus on what's happening now and not what has taken place in the past. For example, even if five minutes ago you received a negative comment from your boss, don't let that simple act take away from the present. Our imagination can run wild and replay negative experiences and memories. So stay in the present and keep everything else in the past where it belongs. Number five, be thankful no matter what is happening. 
Even if your life seems to be falling apart at the moment, there's always a reason to be thankful. Something overwhelming might be happening, but when you take a moment to appreciate the people in your life, your job, or simply your body and mind's ability to be there for you, you'll feel lighter. When you work to find gratefulness and thankfulness in each aspect of your life, you'll find that situations that may have once upset or exhausted you feel less worrisome to deal with. Accepting and processing negative thoughts and emotions can be difficult, especially during a time of crisis. But we can find the good in negative emotions once we accept the idea that they're just part of the journey of life and they will eventually lead to better times. I'm pretty sure the other reason that I don't get angry often is I don't like confrontation. It started as a child when an adult called out another adult for either poor service or being wronged in some way. Yikes. I would just have to walk away. It's extended into my adulthood with uncomfortable feelings anytime someone is put in a distressing situation. I avoid anger when I don't know how to process it. Dr. Lita A. Lavoda shares more about this in Food for Thought, Anger Avoidance, found at Clark Fork Valley Press. Are you an anger avoider? Do you think anger is bad, dangerous, or ugly? Is anger something to be avoided at all costs? Are you scared of anger in yourself or others? Anger avoiders squirm uncomfortably when they have to deal with their anger or others' anger. What are they scared of? Lots of things such as loss of control, rejection, punishment, and guilt. Anger avoidance is very common in our society today. In many subtle ways, we're told over and over to hold in our anger. Be nice no matter what. Get angry and you could lose your job, your reputation, your marriage, and your friends. Instead of recognizing it as part of being human, we learn to ignore our anger. Everybody gets angry. It's what we do with the anger that's important. You pay a huge price when you ignore your anger. Avoiding anger takes a heavy toll on your personal well-being. If you're an anger avoider, your losses range from not getting what you want to suffering physical illness and depression. Anger tells you something is wrong and that you're not getting what you want. Maybe it's a day off from work or some new clothes or being respected by your partner. By not saying anything, anger builds up into frustration and is likely to come out in ways that you don't want it to. Anger avoiders lose part of themselves. They don't feel very good about themselves. They think of themselves in terms of doormat, weakling, etc. They give up their power and begin to depend on others or run away. Often, they can't figure out what's wrong. If anything, they try to be nicer, always less angry. That's their style, and that's how they solve life's problems. Some anger avoiders turn their anger against themselves because they think it's safer to hurt themselves than others. They become self-abusers, cutters, 
and punish themselves over and over with anger that's really meant for others. Anger avoiders sometimes develop physical and emotional illness. They get depressed, headaches, ulcers, and allergic reactions. They eat too much stuff, down their anger with drink, or try to forget it by spending too much hoping to make themselves happy. Anger avoiders are often called stuffers and blowers. They keep stuffing their anger down until one day they just blow it and start raging. Many times their rages are over insignificant things. The rage is usually followed by guilt. If you're an anger avoider, you might try the following suggestions. Tell the person you're angry with what you want. Learn it's okay for people to get angry. Let others be angry. Anger is normal. It's what we do about it and how it's expressed that is important. You can still be a good person even if you get angry. Make a list of behaviors that you would approve of in a friend who needed to get some respect or stand up for themselves. Everyone needs space and respect. They also need to have boundaries for physical and emotional safety. Anger is the energy that helps you achieve a balance between giving and taking and helps you set healthy boundaries for yourself. Just like the emotional chart for Head Start, There are varying degrees of emotions and still a difference we have to discern. The difference between frustration and anger. When you feel frustrated, what tips your pot over where you're pouring out your anger and your wrath? What are your triggers? What causes the hair to stand up on the back of your neck? I know that feeling. It's when someone attacks my character, my integrity, or my children. Otherwise, it slides right down the other side. Remember what Don Miguel Ruiz said in The Four Agreements? Don't take anything personally. Even if somebody verbally lashes out at you, it has more to do with them and their agreements that they've made with themselves than it does you. That's certainly hard to adhere to because our nature is to defend ourselves. But what if, You let someone express themselves, and instead of catching those statements and embodying them, you let them slide down your back and away. They weren't really intended to land anyway. Molly Callahan gives us some other alternatives in to manage your anger better. Learn the difference between frustration and irritation. Found at medicalexpress.com. Chances are something has made you angry recently. Maybe it was an argument. Maybe it was accidentally burning a dinner. Something that you'd been looking forward to all day. Maybe it was something that a politician said. That can happen. A lot of people are angry these days. This comes from Lisa Feldman Barrett, a professor at Northeastern University who studies the psychology of emotion. How do you know you're angry? 
Perhaps your blood pressure rises, your heart rate increases, your cheeks flush. It's your brain's job to interpret these signals and create an emotion from them, anger. But your blood pressure rises, your heart rate increases, and your face flushes when you're running too. The precision with which your brain makes specific emotions is known as emotional granularity. And the more emotional granularity you have, the better your brain can do its job. For some people, anger and sadness and fear are all synonyms with I feel unpleasant or bad. But for other people, their brains can make fairly distinct concepts corresponding to these words that then guide their actions in a specific way. To better understand how this works, imagine an artist and an ordinary person looking at two slightly different blue lights. While they're both shades of blue, the artist experiences them as indigo or cyan, while the ordinary person experiences them both as blue. The artist, therefore, is better able to choose complementary colors accordingly. A person who experiences frustration as distinct from annoyance is better equipped to respond to the source of that frustration. To understand why, we need to make a quick detour into the mechanics of the brain. For your entire life, your brain is entombed in a dark, silent box called the skull. It learns what is going on in the world only indirectly via scraps of information from the sensory channels of the body. That sensory information sights, sounds, tastes, textures, and smells are the effects of what's happening in the world. Your brain has to take this information and figure out what caused it so it knows what to do about it to keep you alive. The tricky part is that any given sensory input, take a flashlight for example, can have many different causes. The brain has to make this same backward interference with your body and encounters the same challenge. An ache in your gut could be hunger if you're sitting at the dinner table. But if you're in a doctor's office awaiting test results, you might experience the same ache as anxiety. Your brain has to determine the causes of sensations when all it can assess are the effects. The brain has one crucial tool to solve this problem past experiences. Your brain remembers experiences that are similar in some way to the present. So in any given circumstance, it's not asking, what is it? It's asking, what is this like? And that's where having high emotional granularity, very precise emotion making can help. The more specific experiences your brain can call upon, the more accurately it can determine those causes. Then it can use this information to figure out what to do next. The brain is always preparing what to do next. This comes from Barrett. So when you're faced with sensory events and need to know what to do next, it's not useful to create a negative mood. To prepare how to act, your brain needs to do better than this sucks. There's not a lot of behavioral specificity associated with this sucks. Interpreting your accelerated heart rate and flushed cheeks, the situation is frustrating me, is actually more useful. 
Barrett says we can develop higher emotional granularity by exposing ourselves to situations that might provoke new emotions. By learning new emotion words, watching movies and reading books where characters face situations unfamiliar to us, and interacting with people whose cultures are different from ours. For example, Baird explained in an interview with NPR, understanding that ancient Greeks differentiated between a flash of anger and a long-lasting anger can help your brains learn to make different varieties of anger that are more precisely tied to specific situations. There are concrete benefits to having high emotional granularity. People who have high emotional granularity cope better with stress and are less likely to rely on alcohol to manage emotions. Having high emotional granularity means you're not wasting a lot of metabolic energy figuring out what to do in any given situation. Your brain can take very specific actions quickly. Barrett cautions about interpreting every bodily sense as emotion, though. The main physical symptom of dehydration isn't thirst. It's fatigue. Sometimes it's better to experience sensation as purely physical rather than emotional. I hope you've been able to pick up some new ideas on how to better identify and manage your emotions. Every generation wants to use the term like now more than ever, but the fact is life now, in the past, or in the future will have its own set of challenges. We are learning and growing and making the commitment to evolve with new and better understanding. Let's wrap this up with some additional takeaways that may aid in the effort. Dealing with Frustration and Anger, Tools to Thrive, found at mhanational.org. In challenging times, you may find that you have little patience with other people or get upset over minor things. Anger and frustration are complicated emotions that often stem from other feelings like disappointment, fear, and stress. Taking some extra steps to decrease your overall tension can prevent your feelings and the reactions that they cause from spiraling out of control. Here's some fast facts. Of people who took an anxiety screen at mhascreening.org in 2020, 71% felt easily annoyed or irritable at least half of the time nearly every day. Of people who took a bipolar screen in 2020, 82% reported being so irritable that they shouted at people or started fights or arguments. One poll found that 91% of respondents said that they feel people are more likely to express their anger on social media than face-to-face. So here are some tips for coping. Pause before reacting. When you feel yourself getting mad, take a moment to notice what you're thinking. Then take a few deep breaths or count to 10 in your head. By giving yourself even just a few seconds before reacting, you can put some emotional distance between you and whatever's upsetting you. And you might even realize that you're actually tense because of something else. Change your surroundings. Anger can make you feel trapped. Whether you're mad at someone in the same room or you're just angry at the world, Sometimes physically relocating yourself can help you start to calm down. Go to another room or step outside for a few minutes of fresh air 
to help disrupt the track that your mind is on. Get it all out. Keeping your feelings bottled up never works. So allow yourself time to be angry and complain. As long as you don't focus on it for too long. Venting can be a healthy outlet for your anger. You can open up to a trusted friend or write it all down in a journal. Sometimes it feels better to pretend to talk directly to that person or that situation. Pick an empty chair, for example, and pretend they're sitting there to get it off your chest. Release built-up energy. Anger is a high-energy emotion, and we store that energy and tension physically in our bodies. Exercise is a great way to get rid of extra energy and can improve your mood. Some people find grounding exercises like meditation or deep breathing helpful to calm intense feelings, while others prefer more high impact like running or weightlifting. Get organized. When things around you feel chaotic, it's often a lot easier to get frustrated and snap at people. Dedicate a few minutes each day to tidying, planning, or reorganizing. Implementing a routine can also help you feel more on top of things by adding structure and certainty to your day. Eliminate stressors if possible. Sometimes there's no way to completely get rid of big problems, but there's often more than just one issue contributing to your frustration. Things like an overwhelming workload or unhealthy relationships can make you feel on edge. Pay attention to how you're feeling. If it's stressed, how is it stressed? How could you make small changes to lessen your burden? Manage your expectations. Negative feelings often stem from people or situations not meeting your standards or assumptions. It's frustrating to feel let down, but recognize that you can't fully predict anyone else's behavior or how situations will play out. Shift your mental framework so that you aren't setting yourself up for disappointment. And don't be afraid to ask for help. If you're working to cope with your anger but feel like you can't get it under control, it's time to get some extra support. Anger can fester and become explosive if not resolved. Let's wrap it up with the top 10 key highlights. Number one, emotional labeling is the practice of cultivating emotional literacy. Number two, naming your emotions immediately releases their grip over you and reduces psychological stress. Number three, words matter. If you're experiencing a strong emotion, take a moment to consider what to call it. Number four, Feeling responsible leads to action, but for many, it leads to hopelessness and overwhelm, burden, frustration, and despair. Number five, confrontation can be very anxiety-producing and painful, and many people mistakenly believe the best way to deal with these feelings is to put them out of your mind. Number six, anger energy can be highly productive or destructive. Number seven, change negative self-talk into positive. When we talk badly about ourselves, we start to believe what we're saying, which perpetuates the bad feelings. Number eight, we can find the good in negative emotions once we accept the idea they are just part of life's journey. Number nine, anger is the energy that helps you achieve a balance between giving and taking and helps you set healthy boundaries for yourself. And number 10, 
We're all learning and growing and making the commitment to evolve with a new and better understanding. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, take time to understand the origin of your emotion and search your feelings for the right label. Proper identification is the start to unraveling the root. Create healthy boundaries that give you a safe space to react and appropriately express yourself. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Somewhere through until the path was clear, that's when I found